Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here, so let's get excited to talk to today's guest. everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Jennifer Bannock. Jennifer is from Libertyville, Illinois, and she is a certified registered nurse anesthetist. That's a tongue twister. I hope I said it correctly. You did. And she's also a member of the Army Reserves. It's funny how you realize when you start like saying things out loud that you're like, your tongue gets all twisted with words like anesthetist. Say it for me anesthetist. There you go. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad to have you here today, Jennifer. And um, you know, I like to start off by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Yes. Thanks for asking and thanks for having me uh, today. So I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist and um, I was on a mobilization that started in October of 2019. So I was away from my family in the Middle East. And um, sometimes these mobilizations are a good opportunity to kind of reset. So that's when I, I've tried intermittent fasting um, previously, but it was never with a whole lot of guidance. So I guess I will take you back maybe to some of my weight history. I was thinking about it a little this morning and I was looking at some of my numbers because I like to record things in apps and such. Me too. I have like years of data. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I was, when I used to weigh, I had a, I I got the scale that synced your weight with the app in maybe 2012 or even earlier. And so I still have all that data and I can look back and see what I was doing and what my weight was doing. And it's just so interesting. It is interesting. So I grew up in a household with just genetically um, like family members that are very apple shaped. So a lot of carry a lot of weight, uh, you know, from the waist down and was always something 
um, you know, that, that bothered me. I'm 46 years old and I looked and my highest weight was on February 7th of 2017. I was 176 pounds and I'm about five, six, just to give people a frame of reference. And I was thinking about it in 2003 and 2004, I ran the Chicago marathon each year and I was probably around probably the high 150s. And if I look at that, it's interesting because that whole pound per year, I would have been about 30 years old then. And that's almost exactly a pound per year then that I wow. put Wow. So it on. just, you just slowly <laughs> put it on. It didn't like boom happen overnight, but it just crept up. It crept up. Yeah. So in 2017, I was at my highest weight, but I've always been very physically active and kind of going in line with the army reserves. Um, we weigh in every six months and we have to take a physical fitness test every six months as well. And so because I'm a reservist, uh, you know, I had to carve time out of my own schedule to work out. And it always kind of was a source of anxiety for me because um, if you didn't, you need, I felt like I was doing it at the last minute. So right. you know, four to six weeks beforehand, all of a sudden there was this huge source of stress to get my weight down and to physically engage. So probably about two years ago, I started, I was working out about five to six times a day or five to six times a week. I'm sorry. I was going to say that is yeah. pretty extreme there. Extreme, yeah. Five yeah. to six times a week is, is not as <laughs> right. Yeah. And I would tell my trainers that I was working out so that I could eat what I wanted. Right. <laughs> and that didn't work so well. You know, I would, I got myself down to about 169 pounds, so lost some weight, had some success. And they would tell me that I I needed to focus more on, you know, what I was eating. Um, Didn't eat a lot of fast food, but after reading the obesity code and your book, I think I was definitely overcompensating. I was working out, but I was making up for that and what I was consuming. Yeah, I think that a lot of us fall into that trap. I know I always did. Whenever I would start a new exercise regimen, you know, back when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to lose the weight. And I just really was always hungrier when I worked out a lot. And and so then I would, you know, my body was telling me to eat more food because I had expended so much energy and then I would eat more food. And then, of course, I wouldn't lose any weight. So it just became like a, a vicious cycle for me. Absolutely. And then I tried probably about a year and a half ago, intermittent fasting became kind of a vogue and it was trending a little bit more on, you know, the internet. Right. And, but you would hear things about dirty fasting, you know, and that I could still do a splash of cream in my coffee. And at that time, I didn't understand any of the science either. So that all sounded really good to me. But then I felt like I self-sabotaged anyway. So none of right. it really stuck. <laughs> was it because the fasting was hard when you were when you were putting a splash of this or that in there? Is that what it was? I think that yes, the fasting was hard and you know, we make up excuses and right. it just tastes way better with cream in my opinion, you know. So uh, none of that lasted very long. Right. So then fast forward to October, November, and I was actually... Is this of 2018? November? Of 2019. 2019. 2019. Okay. Yep. So I was on this mobilization and mobilizations can sometimes be super busy or you can find that you have a lot of time on your hands. So I was serving um, over in the Middle East as a nurse anesthetist. So I was you know, I was the anesthesia provider for, for an Air Force base, and um, I was doing some working out. And we were working out at 4.30 in the morning. Again, like I said, it was a really great opportunity to kind of reset my eating habits and um, focus on, you know, focus on maybe losing some weight. And there were actually some, some medics, two girlfriends that had told me that they were trying intermittent fasting. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should do that in conjunction with uh, some of the exercise changes that I was was doing. And so 
CRNAs, there's 53,000 of us across the nation, and we're a pretty tight-knit group of people. So there's a Facebook page that's called CRNA Moms. And so it's a bunch of probably five or 6,000 nurse anesthetist moms that um, you know sometimes talk about clinical issues, sometimes talk about their families, things like that. So um, somebody had posted that they were interested in losing some weight, and I was reading the comments, and there your name popped up. I so. love that. I love hearing about all the places that it pops up, and it makes me even happier when it's a medical type of a group. You know, like there's a yeah. doctor mom's group that is yeah. um, in um, the UK, and okay. and they are all doing intermittent fasting, delayed on deny style. So it makes me so excited when somebody in a medical group is like, "Hey, try this." <laughs> yeah. So I saw your name, and I saw intermittent fasting stories, the podcast, um, which podcasts are a really great thing to do. Like I said, when you're on a mobilization, you don't have distractions from home, and sometimes you need to pass some time. So I started listening to the podcast, and then I started understanding and appreciating the difference between the fasting that I was doing before and the fasting that you were advocating for. So you hadn't been doing it like you you dabbled in it a little bit a year and a half ago, but then you kind of dropped it off and you weren't really trying oh, it. Absolutely. I had okay. just resigned myself to uh, continuing with, you know, exercise. Right. So it was interesting. I saw somebody had also followed up regarding intermittent fasting, that it was just a starvation diet, which I loved. You know, when I, I also got on the intermittent fasting support group on Facebook, and I, I think a number of people have commented that, you know, starving is when you don't have a planned time to eat, but fasting is intentionally not eating with, with a set time. Right. And I think that's a really, really important distinction to make, especially when you're talking to folks about, about intermittent fasting. So I started listening to your podcast. And for probably a week before that, when I had spoken to the medics, I was fasting, but I was still um, dirty fasting and that I was thinking to myself, I would have non-caloric like drinks prior to I was working out because I was working out at 4.30 in the morning and I felt like I was tired and needed a little boost. Right. So Fast forward a week later, I hear about your podcast and I join the support group and start doing a little bit more reading. I had not read either of the books at this point. So I, I think it was the middle of November, then I downloaded the Window app, which I have to tell you, both with the intermittent fasting podcast stories and the Window app, I was really hesitant at first. I wasn't a believer. I thought... <laughs> That's okay. I, <laughs> I thought, well, what does this app do? It's just, I didn't see the value of it. And right. I have to tell you that once I started using it, I, I am now very diligent in utilizing it every day to keep track of how long I've been fasting. And I just have it set on the manual setting. Initially, I started with a, one of the programs that you can choose. But for my lifestyle, I felt that it was more helpful for me to uh, set it on the manual setting. I do. Can I give a little caveat real quick about that app? Yes. It is absolutely. no longer affiliated with me in any way. Okay. Did you know that? Right. I did not know that. I knew your son wrote, I believe, the algorithm for it, correct? He did. My son wrote it and managed it up until the spring of 2019. In okay. 2019, he sold it to a company I see. that acquired it. And so it's really different now than it was. And okay. so... um. I never have updated it. So I still have the old version on my phone. So I haven't I see. seen the new version because it's like a part of my son. You know what I'm saying? Sure. But it's, there are a lot of changes in it. And um, some people love the changes and some people miss the old app. But I wanted to just put it out there just for people who didn't know that we are no longer affiliated with the Window app. But I still am very proud of it and feel a personal connection to it. And I agree with you that using an app is something that is very helpful for many. When I was, you know, establishing my intermittent fasting practice, that app helped me establish the habit of, of that window, that daily window. And then I don't need it anymore. So that, yep. one of those things. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to get that out there because a lot of people don't realize that we're not affiliated with it anymore. Yep. It's helpful for me because I need to flex my times quite a bit, that it's helpful for me because I set a goal of where right. I want to be. But then I can also look at the statistics and it can tell me 
and let me know whether or not I'm staying within that goal. I think that's a huge point because, you know, some people, you can have in your mind an idea of what you're doing, but when you actually look back at the statistics, you can be like, oh, I really was being more flexible than I thought during this month or wow, I really was nailing it. And so having it right there kind of keeps you honest, you know? Yes, absolutely. And then I track my weight and I was taking pictures, which has been really helpful. So the the app is is very valuable. And I I remembered one of uh, your participants in your podcast mentioning that it was kind of like an egg timer, which is what I see it as. It's like an on and off button. So I'm able to, to gauge how long I've been fasting, how long my window, I love it pops up and it will tell you, you've been, um, your window's been open for five hours. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like a little, like, are you Oops, sure this yeah, is what you is. want? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really, really like the app and I really like the podcast stories because you have such a variety of people that you've interviewed that, you know, some of the folks that you've had on have framed things for me that have been helpful kind of in my journey. You know, that starvation is not an emergency, right? Things like that. Or not starvation, but hunger, but hunger. is not an emergency. Yeah. Yeah, I knew what she meant. Yep. Because we're so used to being, you know, I used to pack snacks in my purse just in case I was going to get hungry later. Well, yes, I would like to, there was one time that I was fasting. It was actually when I was traveling back to the United States. I'd like to add, there's not many rules in this uh, way of life, but I'd like to add one. And I will just say, I broke a fast when I was traveling, like I said, from the Middle East back to the States. Something smelled good that the airline stewardesses were serving. And let me just tell you, there is nothing on an airplane that's window worthy. (laughs) (laughs) I, it true. might have smelled good, but once I broke my fast, I thought, wow, this really wasn't worth it. <laughs> I know. The hardest ever was one time I was traveling and it was morning. And so I was, and it was the the only time I've ever allowed myself the luxury of purchasing first class tickets because I knew okay. I was going to be doing a good bit across the country travel on that trip. I was going across and then back and one was the red eye. So I was like, I'm going to treat myself. This is a business expense. I'm going to do first class. Well, it was morning. And I had to speak that afternoon, so I needed to be mentally sharp. And it was actually evening, so I needed to not be like blah and in the fed state and draggy. So I was like fasting, and everyone around me was drinking mimosas and eating all these breakfast foods. And I was like a little bit like, I'll just have the black coffee. (laughs) (laughs) But it all did smell so good. But I was like, I just can't. This is not window worthy, and I won't be happy later. So, but you did, right. you opened your window and you regretted it. Is that what happened? That's right. It, yes. And from now on, I, I will never do that again. So lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Because it looks like everyone's, you know, having all this delicious food and you're like, I want to do that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounded like a good idea at the time, but uh, you know, that's the one thing though that I found about this is that it's a very forgiving, it's a very forgiving plan. So Absolutely. That's okay. So, you know, the thing that I thought was really kind of interesting or or nice, let's see. So over my duration from the middle of November to when I returned, which was the end of January, I was down probably to 160 to 160 to 161 pounds. So I lost about nine to 10 pounds over the, the three months that I was gone. And those are stubborn pounds that you were having a really hard time losing. Correct. Right. Because I had stalemated, you know, just with the exercise, it wasn't cutting it anymore. I had to make changes in my diet, which was challenging for me to do, but made it easier actually with this time away, you know, um, military cafeterias often it was taco Tuesday and Wednesday, and it became kind of easy if I had had, you know, wings for lunch, why did I need them for dinner? <laughs> so, right. Uh, fasting kind of fit in easy to that, you know, easy to what I was doing at the moment. So fast forward, I've been home for now about three weeks and I took pictures of myself as you suggested. When I came home, I had the obesity code and delay don't deny waiting for me that I had ordered because I really wanted to have a better understanding of the science behind it. and. Because I found myself kind of evangelizing about it, 
intermittent fasting and how wonderful it is. And I didn't understand all of the nuts and bolts. So I wanted to read the books. Yeah, that makes sense, especially with your medical background. Yeah. Because you you want to know, okay, so why is this not just, hey, I'm eating fewer calories, so of course I'm losing weight. You want, There's more to the story than just I'm eating less food. What is that? And when you're talking to people about it, I wanted to be able to give them, you know, good advice or good thoughts about uh, why right. it was important to do a clean fast and why zero Coke isn't... <laughs> something good to be consuming, you know, during your fasting period. So what takeaways did you come away with? Like oh. from your medical background, what what are some of the big things that you just were like, aha, mm-hmm. when you were reading? Well, and I hear this in your book and from some of, you know, your interviews, I just feel like we've been really duped, that the narrative has really been controlled in terms of this food pyramid and eating three times a day and, you know, three snacks that insulin makes us obese, not sugar. Uh, That was really important for me to understand. So control, like, how do we regain control of this narrative? I mean, your support group, like, I think it was 160,000 people when I joined in November, and it's up over 200,000. Yeah, we're, we're over 220. It's growing so quickly that it's like mind boggling. And it was amazing when I returned home. So a couple of things I mentioned, I took pictures. It was interesting because people would see me and keep in mind, they hadn't seen me for probably about four months. And they would say, Oh my gosh, you're so tiny now, <laughs> which was... <laughs> I don't know that I describe myself as tiny, but it felt really good. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And then I noticed this surge in people that I work with who are um, now intermittent fasters. So that was really interesting. Is it because you told them about it or because you just they just happened to be doing it too? Well, I'm not sure. I think there's a number of things. So obviously, while I was gone, the new year happened, which right. is a very common time for people to, you know, recommence to themselves, right? I I do think that the narrative is becoming, is trending more in, you know, within the internet and social media and stuff. So I think that might be part of it. I'm with medical professionals quite a bit. I was at a, a surgical center and I would see probably two thirds of the people there are doing some type of intermittent fasting, which I thought was really interesting. See, that's thrilling. Uh, Two-thirds of the medical professionals at the surgical center are using intermittent fasting in some way or another. I mean, I think we should all just let this sink in for a minute because (laughs) those of us who have been doing it for a long time remember how people would just look at us like we were insane when we would start talking about it. And doctors didn't know, you know, a few did, but most didn't. But now that it is, it's just so, it's out there. And the doctors are like, yeah. And for people who are worried, about is this healthy? Is it the right thing? When you see medical professionals, you know, that are embracing it at the rate that it's happening right now, you can feel very confident that the science is there. Exactly. And it was, so I told you, you know, I came from a family where, you know, my mother's very, you know, apple shaped, um, heavy from the waist down. My parents are divorced and my father is kind of the reverse in terms of health. You know, he's uh, very healthy, always was engaged in physical activity and then married a woman who's a dietitian. So she's my stepmom and, you know, they've been married for I think 30 years. So, but I resided with my mother, but I would always hear my stepmother talk about diet and nutrition. And she was a vegetarian way before it was Vogue. So she would tell me, well, you should eat when you're hungry. And I've heard this for decades. And I was talking to her about doing fasting. And she was very skeptical at first about what I was telling her. And he said, do you understand that this is saying exactly what you were saying, except it was able to give me a narrative that resonated with me. Right. It's exactly what you were telling me. And she also felt very duped by the food pyramid. And, you know, I will tell you that one of her frustrations was that she's taught the nutrition class to medical students, and it's a semester-long nutrition class. But yet we've been getting our information from medical doctors who have very little experience you know, in 
focusing on nutrition exclusively. Well, it's true. And so much of what we what we hear, the quote, the common knowledge about nutrition is based on just faulty narratives that yep. we just keep repeating. And so, you know, they just keep getting repeated over and over again. And then it's like suddenly becomes a fact, even though right. it's far from a fact. <laughs> you know, when we, when we unpack the message of breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and we look to the origin of that fact that everyone has learned, we see, you know, it starts with these studies that were literally funded by Kellogg's. And they also found the best breakfast was cereal <laughs> and, and when they compared it to the others. And then we're, we're using that to build all of our recommendations for how people should eat. Well, and that the graph in the obesity code that really struck me was showing how the corn industry is the most highly subsidized industry. So all of the recommendations have become politicized, you know, by like what, who had the lobbyists that were able to get the, the guidelines, you know, and, you know, put through. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I, let me just tell you that my, my stepmother has, has read the obesity code. She's also been trying to do some fasting. So, you know, I think uh, she's now interested in the potential, you know, some of the non-scale victories. She's very slim, but in terms of, you know, in terms of the other benefits that fasting brings to the table. Yep. Um, My husband fasts now. My 18-year-old daughter um, has uh, been fasting for probably the last couple of years. And I, I didn't, that was, had nothing to do with me. That was something she initiated on her own and she's in college now and she continues to fast. I have uh, several dear friends that are, are fasting now. In fact, I had, um, I, in fact, I had reached out to you just because I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do something. I want to adhere to your tenants. And so I'm looking at, I've started a Facebook group um, for local people, just because I think that sometimes when there's hundreds of thousands of people on a large Facebook group, it might help to have a, a local group, a go-to person. Otherwise, sometimes it seems a little bit right. like magic and it's yeah. helpful to have a personal connection to somebody. I think that's important because, you know, we do have a very large support group and, you know, we have hundreds of posts a day, hundreds. So it moves really quickly. And I really do want to encourage people to think of having a local support system. I mean, I don't have time to manage, you know, local support groups or have any kind of formalized plan, but I love the idea of people taking the principles of delay, don't deny and the clean fast and helping one another in smaller support systems. You know, I've got, I've talked about it before on the podcast, a group that we get together every Saturday here, local to me in Augusta. And we sit and we have coffee and we talk about our lives and people in that group say, well, here was my struggle this week. And we talk it through. And I mean, yeah, they're sitting there with me, but you could do this and they support one another. It's not just me saying, I'm the guru, here's what I want you to do. No, it's it's them talking to each other. And I just happen to be there too as their friend who also does intermittent fasting. Of course, we didn't know each other before. <laughs> We've gotten together through this coffee group. There's a lot of power in this. So I really would encourage everyone to develop your own local support system of others and you can help each other work through it. Well, exactly. And when you're in a super large group, while there's power in that, sometimes I oftentimes see like similar advice being repeated over and over again. So I actually have a dear friend who's a physician and I was telling him about intermittent fasting. He said, you really should try it. I, I know he has some weight that he wanted to lose. And he was actually thinking about, about going on some type of medication for weight loss. And I said, really, I'm telling you, please try intermittent fasting first. It was kind of funny. He said to me, okay, I'm going to try this. This is my plan. He said, that's great. That sounds like a good plan. And so, you know, after the 24 hours was over, I said, well, how did it go? And he said, well, I, um, I binged, I was so hungry, you know, and he said, you know, that's really normal. You'll appetite correct after a period of time. And so then I followed up with him again later on the day. I said, so what's your plan for tomorrow? And he said, well, I'll try it again in a couple of days. <laughs> <And> I, 
I was like, well, that's not really how it works. No, you got to let your body adjust. And see, that's what always threw me. Those years that I was struggling and I knew that intermittent fasting was going to be my thing, but I kept starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And you got to get through the adjustment phase and let your body do all those wacky things. So we need to make sure everybody understands, you know, just like you, you're a great example of this. A year and a half ago, you stuck your toe in the water and you're like, eh. And then you got more information and now, now you love it. But how many people just did that first little initial, you know, dipping their toe into the water, didn't know what was going to happen, didn't realize about the clean fast. And then they're like, yeah, I tried it. It didn't work for me. Yep, absolutely. And so I really want everybody, instead of everybody having dabbled in it here and there, I want people to have the very best chance of embracing it as a lifestyle. Because when I was an IF dabbler, it was no good. It was when I embraced it as a lifestyle that it changed me. Well, and I also had an encounter with a young woman who was still using the splash of cream in her coffee and she'd had some success. And they said, it's great that you've been having success. I'm going to tell you, like my concern is, is for you is keeping the weight off. And that's one of the reasons why the clean fast is so important. So now that you've gotten to this point where you've lost this weight, consider stopping using the cream such that you can, um, you can really make your efforts stick, you know, before I read the obesity code and I had lost weight using stevia the whole time, Mm -hmm. I would have said the exact same thing. This works for me. That's ridiculous. I've lost the weight. And I, I explained this until I don't deny, but I was slowly regaining weight, <laughs> you know, like we do with every right. quote, diet. I lost the weight, but then I was slowly putting it back. Thank goodness I read the obesity code at that point, made some changes, started fasting clean, you know, and that was the rest is history. That was early 2016. You know, thank goodness I did that. But I would have been the person defending that stevia up and down as being just fine. Then I read the science and I'm like, oh, maybe I was just fooling myself. And then the fast got so much easier as soon as I switched over. So I have something in my new book, um, Fast Feast Repeat, which is coming out June of this year. It's available for pre-order now. And in the clean fast chapter, I actually have two clean fast chapters, one that explains, you know, why we do it. And the other one explains how to do it. But I have something called the clean fast challenge. Do you remember the Pepsi challenge commercials from the eighties? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody took the Pepsi challenge. Well, I'm going to encourage everyone to take the clean fast challenge. So anybody who's not sure, like your friend who's using the cream thinks it's fine. I'm going to encourage everyone to try the clean fast challenge for six to eight weeks. That sounds like a long time, but it's a tiny part of your life. Fast clean for six to eight weeks. And then I want you to try it back the way you used to think worked for you. You will see it does not. (laughs) You will feel different. And that's, you know, anytime I've ever tested something that I don't recommend during the fast, just to be like, well, let me see. I always am like, oh yeah, that's why we don't have cinnamon. That's why we don't have apple cider vinegar. That's why we don't put in a splash of cream. Sure. My body reminds me. Yep. Yep. And I'm actually in uh, Syracuse, New York this weekend, um, visiting my daughter, seeing her for the first time, um, thought a lot about how I was going to handle these three days, you know, seeing her, we found a lot of great places to eat around here and things like that. So it was, I, you know, with intention decided I was going to keep my windows open longer and that that was okay. But, you know, it's amazing. I was, thinking about you this morning, I had a pretty traditional breakfast, although I was, I know there's some carbohydrate things I'd like to consume later on today. So I really try to stick with lots of veggies and some good protein. And I chose to have my coffee black, even though my window was open. Because once again, I thought the, you know, the calories that I'm going to get from the cream aren't worth it. There's a great coffee shop we'll go to later and I'll have a really good cup of coffee. And, you know, it'll be more window worthy. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you get to the point where you're choosier, even in your window. I have found I like coffee black no matter when. That's, I like yes. it better that way, which is crazy. I keep trying to embrace that mantra. I haven't quite gotten there yet, <laughs> um, but I can definitely consume black coffee. And, you know, I do, there's a lot of things about drinking coffee that I think have nothing to do with the taste. It has to do right. with 
the smell, wrapping my hand around um, the warm cup. Um, I'm sure the caffeine boost that I get from it, you know, so I try to embrace those things as well and realize that that's part of what I enjoy about sipping a, a cup of coffee. That's really great that you explained that because that takes me back. You know, I was just talking about how I gave up the stevia after reading the obesity code. And I used to put vanilla cream stevia and also a couple sprinkles of cinnamon in my coffee. And mm. that's how I enjoyed it. And it was delicious. And so I said, okay, I can't put all this in my coffee. So I'm just going to have to not drink coffee, just no coffee. Right. So I cut it all out for a while and was like, I just can't drink black coffee. But then I was like, wait a minute, I missed the ritual Correct. of the coffee. So I'm going to have to train my taste buds to drink it black. And so I just right. said, all right. And I embraced it. And then I did. Right. Yep. And I've tried the Tapu Chico and I, I like that as well. I like LaCroix too. So, you know, those are all good things. And I feel like after about three and a half months of, of fasting, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay with, with clean fasting and I don't require the other things. I will also tell you that the Starbucks cold brew is super good. So for me, that's been something that's uh, really worked as well. Satisfied. So do you drink the cold brew or do you drink the nitro cold brew? It's the nitro cold brew. Yeah, I love yeah. the nitro cold brew. Have you heard me talk about before that I can't drink it during the fast? Oh no, that's interesting. It's Why the wackiest thing of all. Well, I've tried it several times. And so every time I drink it, it breaks my fast. And and there's nothing in there that should break your fast. To me, it's completely okay. my brain. My brain perceives it as a sweet, creamy treat. And I get shaky. And people are like, oh, it's just the caffeine. And I'm like, trust me, people. <laughs> I drink coffee all morning long every day. I'm not sensitive to the caffeine. It's it's something about the sweet, creamy taste. And then I was in a Starbucks and the, the barista had on a t-shirt that said, try our nitro cold brew sweet without sweetener, creamy without cream. And that I was like, well, my brain absolutely picks it up as sweet and creamy. And that just goes to show, you know, the cephalic phase insulin response is all about what your brain thinks. My brain is like, ooh, sweet, creamy coffee. We're going to need some insulin now. And it it crashes my blood sugar. So I can't drink it. And I'm really sad. That was, (laughs) I wish I could because it is delicious. It is delicious. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by Optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, responsibly sourced proteins, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that fit in beautifully to my cleanish lifestyle, and the food is totally window-worthy. Tonight, we're having barbecue sweet potato tacos with cabbage and carrot slaw, black beans, corn, and cheesy tortillas, and they come with Green Chef's chimichurri sauce. So good. Go to greenchef.com slash ifstories50 and use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash ifstories50. And don't forget to use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. So that kind of brings me to my next interesting thing in this journey, which is 
I have done the 23andMe and want to do the nutritional genetic assessments to see, you know, kind of what where my macros are. I think it kind of uh, piques my the scientist in me, you know, I'd like to quantify kind of what's my makeup. So anyway, I mix, I know you, I believe you've done that, correct? I have, and it's fascinating. I used um, Xcode Life, and I did it, okay. it was over, over a year ago that I did it. I did their full whatever it was that they offer. And some of the advice is a little bit, I don't know, generic. Like, for example, fat, for example, what fats work better for my body based on my genetics. They're like, okay, saturated fat works better for you than the the poly and the, uh, you know, the unsaturated, you know, the saturated works better, but limit your fat. I mean, so they're, they, they say the one thing and then they parrot the traditional advice. Interesting. So take okay. it all, take the reports a little bit with a grain of salt because you okay. can tell they just put in just some traditional stuff that's like just for everybody. Right. Okay. But the thing that was interesting was, you know, whether you're more likely to gain weight with carbs or less likely or saturated fat or polyunsaturated. That's the part that was really interesting to me. You know, after I wrote Feast Without Fear and read all about the Mediterranean diet and the research on that and how very strong the, the correlation between health and the Mediterranean diet was, I started adding a ton of olive oil. Mm, to everything okay. I was cooking, because in all of the studies they did, the PREDIMED studies that they did in the Mediterranean diet, those people were having like unlimited amounts of olive oil and their health mm-hmm. just got better and better. And so I was like, all right, bring it on. Well, then I got my DNA results back and, and the Xcode life and it said, limit those types of fats. And I'm like, oh, and then I had kind of a light bulb moment. And I was like, okay, the Mediterranean diet was done, all that research was done in the Mediterranean region. Mm -hmm. Well, who Mm -hmm. lives there? Well, the people who are genetically adapted to the Mediterranean region. So when we take those, use a ton of olive oil recommendations and apply it to everybody in the world, you know, that may be just the right recommendation for the people with that Mediterranean DNA. Sure. But wrong for this Irish lassie, (laughs) you know, my family (laughs) was drinking heavy cream straight off the cow and having the butter. And so I may be more genetically inclined to do well on those types of fats. And I'm like, oh, okay then. So I I scaled back the heavy pour of olive oil and started using more butter. Anyway, that was just, yeah. And then I was like, gosh, I wish I could go back and rewrite Feast Without Fear just because of that aha moment, you know, that that we really need to to keep our genetics in mind. And And that's, of course, what I talked about in Feast Without Fear, but I did not make that connection between the Mediterranean diet and where they did the research. (laughs) Sure. Interesting. It is interesting. interesting. And and we're still figuring this all out. The whole personalized nutrition field is in its infancy. Absolutely. The research is ongoing. So it's fascinating though. I did really like uh, one of the folks on the Facebook page said the other day, just when I thought that I, I thought I was a pro, I still get really good pieces of information. And so I had noticed I had, uh, what do you call it? A whoosh moment where I really, right. went, I went down to like 156. And, um, but I also am not, don't feel like I'm, you know, chained to the scale. I have my honesty pants and I brought them with me actually on this weekend so that I could make sure that I still could fit into them and follow okay in them. But anyway, I had this moment where I, you know, lost a little weight and then I bounced back up a little bit by two or three pounds, but still able to fit in my honesty pants. But I saw a comment that somebody was mentioning about how you open up your fast and opening up with something that's a, a really good quality food. And I felt that during or breaking your fast with a quality right. food, I felt that in my window in over the last couple of weeks that I was probably consuming too many carbs that weren't good for me. And so I, you know, I'm switching over to that opening up with a a more quality food, not saying that I can't have the carbs, but filling myself up with 
those other good things first to feeding my body, those good things, and then waiting, you know, till later on in the fast. So I'm going to see, you know, how that works. My 23 and me won't be back for another few weeks. And then I'll try the, you know, personalized nutrition makeup and kind of see where I am with that. But it's all about, I think, discovering kind of what's, what works for you, you know, it really, really is. And, you know, even understanding that you'll still have days where you, you know, eat the quote wrong things. Like one of our natural food grocery stores that's going out of business in in town. So everything was on super big sale. So I went in there and I'm like, Ooh, these potato chips that were (laughs) fried in, you know, coconut oil. I love them. So I brought them home and I like really overate those potato chips. Sure. I'm like, I really should not buy these potato chips ever again. But I felt yucky after I ate them. So even now I still do those things. And I'm like, all right, slow learner still. But when I choose different things to open my window, I feel better. And, and it's just like, all right, I have the power to choose and I don't always make the best choice even now. Sure. You mentioned how we're really the precipice of like this personalized nutrition and what it all means. And I felt like when I was reading the obesity code in your book, and when I've heard the anecdotal stories, I just feel like there's so much research. And again, kind of going back to the scientists in me, I'm like, oh my gosh, there, you know, I know how much, how labor intensive, you know, research is and how long I feel like it's going to take for us to really kind of perfect this. But I, when I wrote to you, I, I mentioned about being um, like an intermittent fasting nirvana because my mind was just spinning about all of the different amazing things that I think this way of life can do um, for folks. And, you know, the other thing, and I remembered you recently posted a link and you alluded to this a little bit. And you're talking about like how you purchased the potato chips. And I've noticed my grocery bill going down. I had also purchased some snacks that I purchased them about a week ago and they were still sitting there. But I think about in terms of waste and the environment, Right. I just think that this really can be a game changer. You know, as a medical professional and somebody that puts people to sleep, I see the toll that obesity really takes on folks. I just think that this is going to be a huge game changer in terms of how we consume food and how we think about food. I think you're right. Isn't it interesting that we've almost come full circle, though? You know, if this is really how we were meant to eat was one or two meals a day, perhaps, or sometimes not eat at all. Um, and now, you know, and we, but not, and then we started over the last, what, 30, 40 years, eating three meals a day with three snacks. And now we're kind of coming full circle to maybe how we're supposed to be eating. (laughs) I think so. And it all just happened with the whole modern era and the advice. I mean, you can look back to, you know, the fifties and the sixties and the ads that, that you would see. I love looking at, you know, those vintage ads, like my doctor smokes lucky strikes or whatever, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and the whole idea of, of better living through chemistry. And then we were having dream whip instead of whipped cream and how it all just, you know, it became food products instead of food. And so then right. the whole, you know, let's drink Tang because that's what they had on the, you know, the astronauts drank instead of orange juice. I mean, I can remember my grandmother sitting there with Tang and having, you know, Fresca and all these chemical laden foods. And it's just a vicious cycle. You know, they were selling these things to us and then we were supposed to consume them all day long and it's marketing. Absolutely. Well, and that was the other thing from the obesity code. I was drinking smoothies, you know, and I was putting just raw vegetables in, but I think the obesity code also helped remind me why that wasn't the same as eating an orange right. or consuming those, those items individually. Yeah. Cause when you're eating the food, you know, like if you're eating an orange, it's got the fiber packaged with it and you exactly. can only eat so much of it at a time. But once you pulverize it, also your body doesn't have to break it down. It's already broken down. And so it is so quickly absorbed and then it causes that blood glucose spike and then the responding crash, you know, once your body deals with that. And so you have that up and the down. So there's a whole lot of difference. I talk about this in the new book when I'm in the the feast section about how our bodies process, for example, raw meat 
like a big piece of, you know, steak that was raw versus if you grind it, now you're having steak tartare, it's, it's going to require less digestion. Now, if you cook it, it requires even less work from your body. So the more we process and break the food down, the less work our body has to do. And so the more quote calories are quickly available to our bodies. Right. I'm not suggesting everybody go eat raw steak, but <laughs> you know, right. you, you don't have as many quote calories available from raw steak as you do from ground meat that's been cooked. Right. But yet they all have the same number of calories. Yeah, that was absolutely something I took away from um, the obesity code was how a calorie is not a calorie. That was very, you know, insightful for me to gain a much better appreciation for. And I think I knew that I'm sure I knew that a gummy bear, you know, a cup of gummy bears wasn't the same as, you know, a serving of broccoli or whatever, but I didn't really understand. But we've been really I mean, that's how everybody seems, that's how most people quantify or understand or appreciate what they're consuming. And it's, it's really misleading. It really, really is. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Yeah. The flip side, though, is that When we tell people that not all calories are the same and we don't recommend that you count calories and that calories in, calories out is flawed, sometimes people get the mistaken idea that what we're saying is eat as much as you want. It doesn't matter. But but that's not true either. You you don't want to overeat. But then people assume that the only way to prevent yourself from overeating is counting calories. And see, that's that's the flaw in the thinking. You can learn how to not overeat without counting calories because overeating is not going to help you reach your health goals. But that doesn't mean counting calories is the way to manage your overeating. Right. Because whenever I counted calories in the past, that actually led me to eat the foods that were the easiest to count, which were the worst foods, the packaged food. Right. Right. Yep. So if you told me I had to count calories, I would immediately start buying packaged food because those are really easy to count. It's really hard to count calories with real foods Because unless you're weighing everything, I mean, like an avocado, what's a medium avocado? Who knows? What about this one that I'm holding in my hand, right? You know, so it's just so tricky. Not counting calories. It sets you up for failure. Right, right. You know, we don't want you to overeat. Counting calories is not the best way to manage what you're eating. But that doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all, eat as much as you want. So it's a delicate balance. And people misunderstood that, you know, a lot of the times. Right. And so I should say now that I feel like I enjoy exercise. I've implemented this lifestyle. And so what just makes me so happy is that when I have these weigh-ins and when I have these physical fitness tests, I'm ready. (laughs) And I don't have to stress. Yeah, I don't have to stress over preparing or diet, quote, dieting. Because I'm there, 
I think one of your the the folks that you interviewed, I remember her saying that she didn't have to hide for a picture. She could just yeah. be there. And I tried to look for pictures of myself. I always hated I hated myself from the waist down. So it was hard for me to find the four pictures because I'd always crop that part out. Right. <laughs> and I get so it. now I feel like I can just be. The other thing from the obesity code that I really liked that Dr. Fung did was he talked about like the root cause of things. Right. And that I'm actually running for a county position for a coroner position. And in addition to kind of the, you know, people most think mostly think of a coroner in terms of folks passing away. Right. But I see myself as a coroner as talking about community health. It's looking at creating a healthy community. And so root cause analysis and really understanding why things are like they are will be super important to me if I get this position. So I liked that about the obesity code was it really took things back to the source of, of where the problem is rather than masking it with all of these other sales pitches. And the source can be different for different people. That's also something that I really took away from everything Fung has written. He uses um, the terminology, obesity is multifactorial, meaning there are a lot of things that lead to the issues. And, you know, if the only thing we're telling people is eat less, move more, you're not addressing the root issue. It's really hard to eat less, move more long-term just, you know, your body starts to fight back. We've all been there. We've all experienced it. But on the flip side of that as well, when you're doing intermittent fasting and you start off with that, intermittent fasting does a lot of great things in your body, but it still might not be the only thing somebody has to address to find out, you know, why they are overweight. There may be more digging you have to do because it's like, like he says, it's multifactorial. So there are a lot of root causes. You know, if you have, you know, really bad thyroid issues, you can do intermittent fasting and do everything, quote, right and have still a really hard time losing weight. And you have to dig deeper and figure out what's going on for you. Does that mean intermittent fasting doesn't work? Nope. It just means that it hasn't addressed your root cause. Does that mean you should quit doing intermittent fasting? No, because it's healthy. You know, whether you're losing the weight at the speed you want to lose it, there's something holding you back if you're not. And it's a matter of being detective and and finding out what that is. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're right. I want to go back. You said coroner. I always was just thinking coroner dead people. (laughs) I know. I know. I didn't know there was more to it than that. Yeah, you know, so it's not a legislative um, position per se, but, um, you know, it's an opportunity to really have a a platform to, you know, look at things that might cause premature mortality within your community. And obviously, you know, obesity is an epidemic, you know, so this is an opportunity to talk about, you know, this issue. Absolutely. So we're getting towards the end of our time together. So I'd like to end by having you explain what you would tell someone just starting off with intermittent fasting, or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Absolutely. What do I wish when I first started? I wished I would have known about the clean fast. Uh, That's absolutely super important in my opinion to um, long-term success. So, and that's what I want. I want a permanent fix, um, oh, yeah. not something that's just going to band-aid the situation. So um, I wish they would have known about clean fasting. And um, when people are starting, it's hard because it is multifactorial. And so you're trying to tell people about how great intermittent fasting is and you want them to experience some level of success. So I think that your suggestion to um, give it six to eight weeks, you know, um, the intermittent fasting challenge. So advising people to, to give it time. Right. If you start stagnating to maybe uh, change some other things, you know, before you give up on it altogether. And really, I would encourage people to say to themselves, I am going to begin an intermittent fasting lifestyle for my health. And then I'm going to see what happens with my weight. And then I'm going to see what I need to tweak if I still need to tweak for weight loss. But I I, I want people to think of those things as separate, part of the same picture, but you may need to dig deeper to find what you need to tweak for weight loss. But that doesn't mean intermittent fasting is 
is the big thing that we're doing for our health and then tweak it to get the weight loss results that you're looking for. Absolutely. Yep. I agree. And, you know, we say trust the process and sometimes people misunderstand what that means. They think trust the process means find a fasting plan, do it, blindly trust, you're going to get results. And that is not what we mean by trust the process. The process is actually the process of tweaking to see what you need. There are tweaks required for all of us. I've had to tweak. You've had to tweak. We all tweak. And the tweaking is the process and figuring out what your body needs. We are not all the same when it comes to what foods we need. We are also not all the same when it comes to what intermittent fasting regimen is going to work for us. Right. Yep, absolutely. Well, Jennifer, I have really enjoyed talking to you today. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Jen. It was great chatting with you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.